And now, a word from our sponsor. Lightning Recap. In 50 terrifying real ghost stories, author Eve S. Evans gives us 50 ghost stories that are terrifyingly real. Do you like ghost stories? Are true tales of terror your thing? Then you should read the wonderful books of author Eve S. Evans. I just read 50 Terrifying Real Ghost Stories, and let me tell you, it is a chilling collection of stories, all taken from real-life paranormal encounters. You can find Eve S. Evans' work on Amazon, and you really should, because these are some of the finest true ghost stories you'll ever hear. The costume maker could turn you into anything. A birdcage, a piano, a plant. But she made no guarantees that you could return to the way you were before the transformation. And she wasn't gentle. There was the quilting incident, for example, when the client was so affected by the flattening that she'd run out of the costume maker's apartment, trailing a blanket of blue where her right arm should have been. And there had been more than one missing person. When the transformation had gone so well, there could be no going back. Lightning recap. In The Costume Maker by Debbie Vance, a costume maker with magic in her fingers faces her biggest challenge yet when she has to unmake death. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's Short Story Short Podcast. I myself am Christopher J. Garcia, man about town, here today with Christy Baxter, a woman about town? Yeah, sure. I can I can go with that. Sure, yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, as a man about town, uh, as I'm sure you know, as a woman about town, uh, I sometimes like to mix it up and get a little bit intellectual with reading a short story. What, what short story would I have read this week? You would have mixed it up with Debbie Vance and her short story, The Costume Maker. Now, let me say about this, this is a beautiful story of a person who has an overwhelming amount of power. And yet, one of the reasons why I don't consider this either a horror or a fantasy story is because we are not given any sort of system that it's laying in. Okay. All right. I can see that. I don't think fantasy requires a system. I think it just requires magic and power. I'm, I'm, I'm a little more loosey-goosey with my genre definitions, despite how sometimes I'm also very rigid with them. <laughs> I'm a paradox like that. But yeah, I think it just requires magic. Generally, you do have rules because magic does have rules you know like it, it that 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 tends to be the case because you need some sort of system guiding it you need some sort of penalty for uh if you do it incorrectly or for the for, for bad reasons you know uh you need some sort of a price magic always has to have a price those rules i think are largely broken here but i i, I do think the author gets away with it pretty well by by just having the writing be damn magical <laughs> You're absolutely right. And that is my my definition of magical realism. Ha <laughs> ha, uh, there you go. 
which is where I kind of think this slip it's either it's either magical realism or slipstream okay there's definitely a mainstream sensibility to the way the story is approached but at the same time there is undoubtedly a massive amount of there's definitely undoubtedly magic here yeah Okay, so I, I guess I have to go back and add a caveat to my statement that I consider like magical realism, slipstream, things like that. I consider those subgenres of fantasy as an overarching genre. Fantasy is an overarching genre. Science fiction is an overarching genre. Mystery, my brain just completely blanked, but like young adult, even though it's an age group, it also has its tropes and therefore is a genre, but you can have young adult fantasy. You could have young adult slipstream, you know, like there's young adult coming of age, it, it all of these overarching genres then have beneath them these systems of subgenres that then can interact and sort of you know like bump up against each other so that's my vision of genre but i don't pretend that that is the only way of seeing and i on the other hand know that there is only one way it can be and that is every genre is its own little silo hanging out in a field of wheat other grains Maybe a cow loping by. Cows lope, right? Cows lope. And I definitely, I think, what's that? I, I hear chickens. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. <laughs> but uh, what's interesting here is that the story is, it's an actual big story. It is a costumer who has to figure out what life and death is to overcome what is always like in everything you see, death is the hard stop. The genie can't bring you back from the dead. No wishing people dead. The, what's the other one from that book? If you bring someone back from the dead, it visits death upon someone else. The premise for the greatest television show of all time, Pushing Daisies, of course. And so this is actually attaching one of the biggest tropes in all speculative literature. But at the same time, it's doing it so slyly and so beautifully well that I think it gets not only gets away with it, but makes it far more interesting because it leans on its phrasings so well. For example, one of my favorite lines of this entire thing, uh, she would spend the rest of her days as hen with his bad teeth and sensitive stomach and penchant for selfish women. The costume maker didn't ask if it was worth it. She picked up the woman's linen blouse and pulled it on over her own skin. <laughs> you can't see Chris freaking out there, but I can. It's delightful. <laughs> Correct. And the beautiful thing about about how it is written is it is written in a, I wouldn't say it's definitely not minimalist, but there is not a lot of adornment to it, but there are a lot of things like uh, sort of side quests, I guess. It's sort of uh, things, phrasings that aren't necessarily adorning of the main point, but add an element to the context of a paragraph in particular that because this is a story i always say there are stories that are written by the chapter there are stories that are written by the sentence this is 100 a story that exists in paragraphs oh absolutely yeah it does exist in paragraphs 
I do see it a little bit differently because you were, as you see those as like adding context to the paragraph, I see it as adding details to the story and the characters. So I'm like, you know, like, and, and, and there's, there's a, definitely an internal logic to it because the costume maker, it's sort of a, it's, it's, it's a distant third person perspective here, but it's definitely, at least for, you know, most of it, it's from the costume maker's perspective, again, very distantly. But mm-hmm. it's giving us these details about Hen, his bad teeth, his sensitive stomach, his penchant for selfish women that the costume maker couldn't have known before she spent that time with Hen's sibling telling her everything about him. And so we couldn't have known this coming in. She couldn't have just walked in. That, that, that's too simplistic for, for the, 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 the buyer to walk in and say, I need you to make my brother. He's dead. He likes uh, selfish women. Uh, he uh, always runs to the bathroom as soon as he finishes eating anything greasy. <laughs> and, you know, like he, his teeth are kind of, you know, he could stand a trip to the dentist. So uh, let's get on that. And uh, I'll be back in what, an hour or so, right? Yeah. So like, no, that, that, that sort of the amount of investment and time that you need to actually fashion a real human being and make it accurate that is what we're seeing there in just those three little details. And I find that wonderful. And I think there's something else here that is interesting uh, that is often also seen in a lot of different magical realism is that there is sort of a flattening of the uh, unexpected, the sort of the sentence that, or the paragraph that gives this to me is the costume maker was intrigued to make a ghost. She had to unmake death and then uh, she had to make death and then unmake it. But why? There were plenty of ways to haunt as a window pane or a radiator. And that says how plainly a the supernatural is seen. It's just something that's in the house. Could you repeat what you said, the flattening of, of the... The flattening of the uh, unexpected. That is the best goddamn way I've ever heard magicalism <laughs> described <laughs> in my life. That is perfect. Oh my, I think that deserves a correct. That, that, like you seriously, that was the, the, you know, you know me in surprising phrasing. Well, you just, you saw my expression. I don't know if you noticed my expression when you said that, but I was just like, wait a sec. Like, um, oh yes. <laughs> so uh, you've done it. You've surprised me with the phrasing. That's perfect. Yes, I do agree. It is something that we see. And that idea of unmaking death is such a big, huge, gigantic idea. And she's just like, all right, I'll give it a try. <laughs> you know, So it frequently has to do with, I think that flattening frequently comes from either the narrators or the characters, or sometimes they're both, their attitudes towards the magic and how they feel about it and what they do with it and for it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I love the... One, I could not see this without thinking this is a Miracle Max type character from The Princess Bride. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, there is a a depth to the costume maker that really, really fascinates me. It's that coming at a worldview from a completely different angle. Because we're presented a world here that is more or less our world. But weird. <laughs> or maybe it's just the weird part of our world the goblin empire as the kids today are always saying um are they 
okay. <laughs> I don't know what they're saying. And I still part my hair on the side. So whatever. <laughs> this is a bubble that need not be popped. Um, <laughs> That's fine. But I think that this, you know, this story is, and shocking synchronicity here is that this story reminds me a whole lot of Open House on Haunted Hill, uh, which just won the Nebula. And it's that idea that this is, there is a whole lot of strangeness, but a general life just goes on in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it is that, that thing that is at the heart of magic realism, that it's, it's, not, it's not even about the magic, it's about the attitude. That's what it comes down to. It becomes the, it, it's the attitude and, and how you perceive it. And that's done very, very well here. Um, it's just like, everything is very, you, you said it's not minimalism. I would say it's not, but it's, it's plain spoken, hmm. I, I guess. It bumps up against minimalism, but it's plain spoken and just has some, some wonderful like <laughs> moments that are just presented and then deposited without comment. I mean, the, she could go into that moment that you spoke about earlier that ended with she p- picked up the woman's linen blouse and pulled it on over her own skin because that tells us so much. That tells us so much. Think about the paragraph I read at the opening of the show. Sometimes the people who are changed don't come back. She knows, the costume maker knows when she puts that linen blouse on, she puts it on because she knows that the sister's never coming back. Good point. Uh, I also love how the costume maker defines what someone is. Uh, The great line, who had he loved and how? How had he moved when he danced and what he did with his hands when he lied? What words did he mispronounce? How did he keep his hair? Oh, there's so much beauty there. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Just so much. Some writers know what they're doing. Some they really do, yeah. And it's really you gotta appreciate it. And and I really, I truly do. I, I very much thoroughly enjoyed so much about this story. I I liked how the characterization of the woman. We never get the sister's name, but we get so much characterization about her. She she chews her nails. She chews on on ice. So she's got a little like like pika going on there. We get like some of her, a few of her clothes, a smock dress, high-waisted jeans. We get, you know, she, she's very, um, she's very, it seems to be tactile about food and stuff, you know, like eating a chocolate macaroon, licking pistachio salt from her thumb. Her mouth is involved in a lot of things here. It's interesting characterization to bring that particular aspect in so many times, but it does kind of center everything there because I guess if, I, if I'm going to go a, a little bit out there, when it comes to um, what the costume maker is about to try to attempt in recreating the woman's brother, the woman's mouth is the most important part of this project, because as aside from the magic, because that's where all the information comes from about who he was. That is my mind being blowed. <laughs> I just came up with it right there on the fly, like I do. <laughs> well, I loved this story. I thought it was... Uh, just it's one of the more interesting takes on someone who is extraordinary asked to do something that is incredibly extraordinary that exists in a world where all of this just is kind of normal yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The writing was great. I liked the characterization uh, and uh, it, it was kind of an ambiguous ending, but one I could sometimes, sometimes they make me angry sometimes, but not always. In this case, I felt like I could live with it. So, oh, we did actually get the uh, the sister's name, but only once we were in Hen's point of view, I just realized, and at the very, very end, Soph. So I'm assuming like Soph, Sophie, Sophia, something like that. So yeah, very end, in the last couple of paragraphs, we get it from Hen's point of view. But before that, I don't think it matters to the costume maker and that's whose point of view we're in, so. Oh, good point. Like it matters that. to Hen, but not to the costume maker because what matters to the costume maker is who, who Hen is. That's her project. Aren't we all just a little bit Hen? I do think we are, uh, yes. Uh, I don't know if uh, it's, it's, it's my teeth or my stomach, but in some way, <laughs> I am Hen. <laughs> hey, hey, Christy. Yes? What are we going to read next week? Next week, we are going to read Rubber Dust by Sarah Thankham Matthews. And ah, that is largely a very like just average name, but the, all the S's and TH's in there almost made it disastrous, let me tell you. That was almost Sarah Thankham Matthews. Uh, it was very close. And I'm sober. <laughs> <laughs> it's like me trying to say ichthyosaur. Oh gosh, yeah, ichthyosaur. There you go. I can I, I can do that. Did I do it right? I'm not talking to you anymore. Anyhow. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until next week, this has been short story. Short podcast.